Welcome to the Inspiring You Show. I'm Henry, and this, my friends, is a vibrational experience, a remembering of the truth of who we are. Content is light encoded to assist you on your journey if you wish to receive for your highest good. Okay, friends, so part of my interest in doing a podcast is to demystify the human multidimensional soul and spirit experience. Remember, everyone has the ability to connect into their self-healer. Activating it is key to it. Learning how to shift from low vibrational frequencies to higher is a process to learn, grow, and master. Yet, how do you learn how to be compassion and have patience for the human as you discover the ability to do so? One way can be to hear other people's stories, abilities, tools, and processes, as well as being in high vibrational conversations. And this can really support one to begin to master their own light groundedness, alignment, and connection, becoming the master of managing your energy, becoming the healer of your own life. So today I have a very special guest, Ainsley McLeod. And he is truly inspiring. And I have been so graced and blessed to have him in my life for many years. I am so grateful. He's an internationally acclaimed past life psychic, spiritual teacher, and award-winning author of the Old Souls Guidebook. He specializes in exploring past lives to reveal your life's purpose. And you'll hear in this episode lots of things, including his ability to read and understand someone in many profound ways. And through his books, classes, retreats, one-on-one sessions, he has an online membership program that I recommend. He's an author, a spiritual teacher, past life, psychic, as I mentioned. And he has taken thousands of people on a journey into the world of the soul to discover their life purposes, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have him on because often clients talk about wanting to know their life purpose. So he works with elevated spirit guides and he acts as a direct conduit between this plane and spiritual universe to offer information designed to inspire, illuminate, and empower. And according to Ainsley, past lives can really explain everything, which is why he explores past lives to help you make the most of this life. And he says on his website, You can never really truly know who you are if you don't know where you were. Uh, Yes to all that. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Ainsley, for being here with me. Oh, thank you, Henry. It's great to be here. Great to see you again. Wonderful to see you. Okay, so let's dig right in. You specialize in exploring past lives to reveal life purposes, and you have this ability to read and understand someone in a really incredible and profound way. So what does that really mean? Well, oh my gosh, what does it mean? Um, You know, I discovered years ago that I had this ability and, um, you know, that I could read people. It was a slow start and everything. It took me a while, uh, you know, to get going. Actually, it took me decades to uh, heed the call, but when I finally did, it was quite a sort of learning process there. And as I developed... My abilities, um, well, I spent about three years honing my skills. And then finally, you know, spirit world kind of looking at the watches and wondering when I'm ever going to get out and read people. I started doing that. And uh, very quickly, I found that as I was reading somebody, past lives would come up and it came up over and over again. And they absolutely fascinating because i do say you can never understand where you're going or where you are if you don't know where you've been and uh, so much of what we're doing in this life is related to our past lives in fact i maintain that everything about we humans is past life related in some way everything because 
past lives explain the karma we were working on, the personality we chose uh, before coming into this world, uh, lessons we want to learn, people we want to interact with, places we want to go, talents. Talents are all past life abilities, you know, and uh, so I like to be challenged as well. I often say at events, challenge me on this. You know, something about human nature, throw it out there. I'll show you how it's past life related, however odd it may seem. Oh, and actually, that's one of the things, you know, where people have really odd quirks and idiosyncrasies. Where do they come from? I mean, those very odd things that people do, they're all past life related. So you mentioned, though, that you had a late start. How did you first discover your gift? Was it in childhood? I was about 40 years past childhood when I really embraced it. Um, You know, to be honest, the odd thing looking back is that I had lots of weird experiences growing up. Um, Just knowing things or whatever. I mean, just weird little seeing ghosts and stuff like that. Um, I never, ever once thought about being psychic. Um, I have often talked about how I used to go and see the sweet old lady in London psychic there. and I was an atheist. I was a sort of non-believer, yet drawn to psychics and sort of trying to, some cognitive dissonance going on there, I imagine. Um, but she would always tell me I was psychic, and I'd always joke about, well, I wouldn't be paying you if I was psychic. I'd do it myself, you know, save a few pounds. But um, the experience I always talk about was when I kept hearing from psychics that you should be doing it. I mean, I was approached in public places. Um, like a couple of times in pubs in London, once at Gatwick Airport in London, um, a woman just came up to me and she goes, you know, I'm psychic and my spirit guides are telling me you're psychic and you need to be doing something with it. And I'm going, oh God, I keep hearing that, you know? And uh, now when I have clients who say things like, oh yeah, people keep telling me I should be a writer. I go, well, if you keep hearing it, <laughs> you know, do something with it. But I didn't know how to get started. And uh, I was on a trip. I'd moved to the West Coast of the States um, you know, kind of a long trek. And I took a little trip to Hawaii. And when I was there, I had a session with a psychic and she was telling me that my uncle was wanting to work with me. And I was going, oh yeah, I keep hearing that, you know, and he's a spirit guide. And I was going, yeah, right, sure. Your uncle had passed away at that point. He was dead, you know, been dead for 10 years. And um, the next day, um, or I can't remember later that day or the next day, I was walking around Borders Bookshop and I, uh, ran into him. I talk about this all the time because it was the most profound thing that's ever happened to me. It was real. I mean, he was only there for about a second, but it was like, you know, standing next to you. It was just like... You could see him? Oh, I mean, well, it wasn't interesting. It wasn't even like a fuzzy or idealized version of him. It was like him from probably maybe 20 years before he Mm -hmm. died and just standing there uh, with a big smile on his face, and gone, but with a very much longer message, which was about working together. And uh, so I went back to the mainland and um, I was living in a houseboat, which was very tranquil and which was probably very good for connecting because my life had been very hectic and noisy up until that point. Um, And it was really the first time in my life I'd had tranquility. So I just sat down and went, okay, well, you know, he wants to work with me. I just sat down and went, okay, John, you're there. And he was. And I was going, shit. And I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Um, and very quickly, he passed me over to spirit guides that I 
I work with now. So I only talk to him for a very short period of time. And, uh, you know, it, it was nice to make the connection, but he was really there to introduce me to a higher level of spirit guides. And they're the ones that, um, those who are freshly on the other side, they tend to have a bit of a limited experience, you know, like they'll, sometimes if they come through me, which I try to discourage because I'm not really on that level, um, and it interrupts sometimes the connection, but they'll say things to the client about they don't like the new curtains or something. And it seems trivial, but it's a way of saying, yeah, they know you've got new curtains and, you know, they're watching what you're up to. But it certainly wasn't what I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, so very quickly, I was introduced to these spirit guides that I work with now. And uh, they have a, more of a big picture, and that includes the past lives. So when I'm working with somebody, I can see where they've been, where they're going, and how they connect up to other people in their circle of, you know, soul family. Um, so bigger picture stuff, really. You know, so people come to me, it's like, you know, it's about questions about life purpose and, you know, the bigger things, not whether they should choose yellow or green for the curtains. <laughs> But there is some uh, input, though, on the other side, just to let us know that they can see and give that sense of um, human experience and connection. Okay, so what you're talking about is interesting because a lot of my clients also get messages that, you know, I feel like I'm psychic or I know I'm getting messages. But then I think oftentimes in the human experience, it's, you know, you could be driving on whatever you call it, the freeway, the highway, and you're cruising down and there could be all these massive billboards. And it's like, you're missing the billboards. Mm. And it's like, what does it take to get like the human's attention? Like, hello. And so for you, where were you raised and born again? I was born and raised in Scotland, Aberdeen, Scotland. So you raised in Scotland and you were an atheist. And yet you still had some like inkling of, I'm going to go see some psychics. This yeah. will just be fun, whatever. You're like, whatevering it. And then you were also, I believe professionally, you were an illustrator. Yeah, I was an illustrator for, um, I came out of art school in Scotland and I moved to London. So I became an art director in an ad agency, hated advertising, became a cartoon illustrator, uh, which was part of my life purpose, part of what I was here to do. But around about the time that I started on this more spiritual path, it was just like, I'm done with that, you know, and people were kind of shocked, you know, like, oh my God, how could you give up a great career? like that but you know spiritually we often get bored or just you know soul's done with whatever we've been doing and it wants to do something different um and for me i haven't looked back as you know people told you miss being an illustrator no i mean i paint now and you know i've got creative outlets but um i don't miss the deadlines and the pressure and you know the bullshit and stuff that <laughs> went with it and uh so I say, nobody ever told me that one of my cartoons saved their life, you know, but the work that I do now feels much more important and powerful. You know, the majority of my clientele is around 37 to 43. It's a very narrow band. I mean, of course, I get people of all ages, but um, often surrounding these decade markers. I met you around then. Yep. Well, the soul is around that point. It's going, okay, where do we go from here? It's always conscious of the starting a new decade. And so it's always thinking, okay, well, are we on track? And what do we need to do to get on track for our 40s or our 50s or 60s, whatever? And uh, so, you know, and if you don't uh, heed the call or pay attention, you know, if you're missing the billboards, then that's where midlife crises come from. 
you know, where there's that sort of almost disconnect between the soul and the conscious mind. But it's interesting how um, the spirit world is reaching out to us all the time. And, you know, I think we humans, we think that, you know, we're the ones trying to reach out to them and they're somehow elusive. It drives them nuts that we're not paying attention. People will say to me, I'm not hearing my spirit guides. And um, sure you're not, you know, you're waking up with the radio and, you know, you're going to work, there's noise and chaos coming home. You've got the TV on as soon as you walk in and it's on all night. And um, then you go to bed wondering why you're not hearing from your spirit guides. You probably noticed that every spiritual practice worth anything talks about meditation or relaxation or something along those lines. If you want to connect, you really do need to shift your brain waves a little bit and get some tranquility internally and externally. And that's when magic starts to happen. So I'm a big believer in meditation. I learned to meditate when I was around about 30 and I was very wired and stressed out permanently. I mean, I think, you know, God knows PTSD and lots of things from childhood and, um, but I was a very anxiety ridden person and, uh, sort of very nervy. Like I was one of those, sort of, like, you know, those dogs that are sort of trembly, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like that. And, uh, I learned to meditate and it, completely changed things. In fact, I spent a weekend learning to meditate in a class. And on the Monday, I called a very good friend. And, or actually, he called me up and I, the way I picked up the phone, he didn't know it was me because I was so relaxed. And he's going, I thought I got a wrong number. He said, like, you sound like you're relaxing in a comfortable leather chair in a gentleman's club with a brandy and a cigar. And I was going, yeah, I feel very mellow. <laughs> it's like, you know, and prior to that, it was all kind of like jumpy and, you know, kind of permanently agitated. And it really changed things for me. And I think ultimately it was a big help in learning to communicate with the other side. Um, you need to change your brainwaves a little bit. You know, it's very hard to be, yeah, I don't know, in the middle of the working day and, you know, hearing the voice of your spirit guides, which, by the way, is the voice of your intuition. People wonder where that comes from. That's what your spirit guides do. So trying to give you messages all the time. Which is, you bring up so many amazing points. One, um, you know, when you are in that constant stress, go, 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 go. It's really difficult to go into stillness to hear that yeah. voice because the outside noise is so just, it's so loud. And so bringing it back to your story, what's so amazing is that, you know, you are on, you go visit the psychic and then you're in a bookstore and um, with the guides, you know, I always talk to my clients how they'll keep trying and finding ways. And sometimes those ways can be a beneficial shock. And so for you to be in that bookstore and all of a sudden, you know, to see your dead uncle, like literally appear next to you, it's so like, wait, what is going on here? That moment. And that moment is so profound that it then allows you to make the next shift, which then because I get asked about my career transition all the time. Like, how did you go from being an executive producer in television to working and doing this now? Wasn't it scary? When the light switch goes on and you're in flow, you're just in flow and you just know that this is where I'm supposed to be. And what you were doing just comes to a completion in that cycle. And you're like, this is what life flow means. 
And you just, it's almost like it's tactile. And so for you to have that experience and that connection from ancestry to then your guides is just so incredible. And I just really want to point it out because again, I just feel like everyone has the ability and the tools. It's just the level that you're at and the practicing. And so for you, you then were guided to your guide team that you have now. Like, is there a name for them? And what was that like for you? Uh, well, when I connected with them, uh, first of all, and by the way, it's an interesting point. I think of my life as in two halves. One prior to meeting my uncle in the bookstore and one and the rest, you know, second half after that. It really was, for me, that profound change. How old were you, by the way? I think I was about 42, mm. um, early 40s. and uh, I was in my early 40s, too. Yeah. It's like, it's all around that, around, somewhere around 40 mark. And so often those big changes. Yeah. Um, sorry, what was the question again? So it was about um, your guides when you first started working oh, with yeah. them and how you were introduced. And then um, we've talked before, I think that you went through like a three-year training process with them. It was, it was not meant to be three years. It was more my concern about getting things wrong. And, uh, you know, I knew from my own experience of having encountered some really great psychics that you put a lot of store in what they say. Um, and uh, so I felt it was like a huge responsibility. So I had to be right. And I had a really big fear about, you know, giving somebody wrong information that might sort of screw up their life or something. So, um, yeah, I spent three years. I mean, you know, it wasn't sort of every minute. I mean, I was still illustrating at that time, but every spare moment um, I was talking to the spirit world. The funny thing is that I'd be, you know, late at night talking to them and running out of questions to ask, which now I find absurd because now I think I've got about 40,000 questions I would like to, and I'll never have enough time to run by them. But um, just practice, practice, practice to the point where they're going, you do need to get this stuff out into the world. You can't just be talking to us every night about, you know, history or geography or whatever, or testing us. But it, I was just, I was overly cautious, but that was a past life thing as, as well, you know. So, um, you know, once I started working with them more regularly with people, we actually experimented a little bit with different ways of communication. Some of it was in the early days, I would get a lot of visuals, um, probably more than I get now. And now I, uh, the, the method is, it's, they call it clear audience. It's not like exactly what you think. It's not a, a voice in the ear. I wish it was, it'd be a lot easier, but it's more like a sort of knowing, but I am hearing something on some sort of level. It's just really, really hard to put into words. But if I'm working with somebody, you know, like I'm working with you, and I get like a whole sentence and that's all that's in my head. So until I download that sentence and tell you about it, then there's no room for anything else. I can't you multitask or anything, you know, just like, that's it. That's what I have to give you. And uh, we experimented with different means of communication. At one point I was getting nouns and verbs like a ticker tape running around across the, you know, I guess third eye sort of area. Um, and that, that was helpful. That was good, you know, but it was just trying to find what really worked best. It wasn't clear initially what it would be. And um, even the sort of like, you know, what, as they call it, purview, you know, what I do. I mean, I think we knew it was going to be about, you know, helping people to figure out their lives and that sort of thing. But, you know, did it include finding missing people or missing objects? I mean, I tried a little bit of that and 
decided very quickly that that was not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to, you know, didn't be the one to tell somebody their child was dead or something like that. And I didn't feel like it was, although I helped a few people find missing objects, it wasn't, it was, you know, they go, wow, that was amazing. It was exactly where you said it was. And that's great. But, you know, it validates what you're doing. But it didn't feel like groundbreaking or earth shattering or, you know, higher purpose to me. So very quickly, it got more into sort of uh, helping people to understand who they are and why they're here, which that I find utterly fascinating. It always been something that I'd question, thought about, uh, even as a child, you know, what makes people so weird? Why are they so different? You know, uh, I remember um, as a kid, I was in Scotland, obviously, and watching race riots in the States. Um, and these segregationists talking, being interviewed, and I'm going, what is wrong with them? Do they need to read books or something? Do they need an education? Are they just not getting taught properly? Or, you know, um, and what it was is, you know, as I discovered later, these are just younger souls. They don't have the experience of the older and wiser souls to recognize that we're all connected. See huge differences in skin color and gender and so on. And so how would you define soul and then also in terms of an age of a soul too? Yeah, well, the way that Spirit Guys present it to me is that we are all comprised of three parts, which is the mind, body, and spirit. And uh, the soul carries the memories. It also carries the life plan that you have for this incarnation. The soul's aware of everything that you're here to do. And, uh, it, you know, its purpose is to sort of steer the vessel, help point you in the right direction. Of course, you're also getting information from your spirit guides, the voice of your intuition as well. Um, so the soul is with you from, thanks to reincarnation, it's with you from your first life to your last, which for most old souls would take you up to life 110 or 120 or somewhere around there, uh, depending on how you measure it, because generally the spirit guides wouldn't count a, an incarnation where you didn't live beyond one or something that wouldn't you know, so so somewhere in that sort of region um and as you go through the process from life number one to life whatever you grow obviously uh you're here to learn if you came here once you'd never learn anything i mean you could die at age five and well that was a waste of time or maybe you just failed to get on your life plan or whatever but coming back over and over and over just that's how you build experience. You build um, things like compassion, empathy, knowledge. You know, the journey I always say takes you from a place of me, very self-centered, to we, recognizing that we are all part of something bigger. But you're building empathy. The more you're in different bodies, different parts of the world, the more you're going to understand others. So by the time you get to be a really old soul, you know, you look at. Um, somebody's down on their luck, you know, homeless person at the corner of the freeway begging for money and you give them a dollar because you've been there. You know what it's like. You've been homeless and hungry, but a lot of younger souls, they don't have that experience. They just think, oh, there's a bomb, you know, wish they get out of here. Um, there's a lack of compassion because it's just a lack of experience. Um, but you can also define where somebody is specifically on the journey and you can tell a lot about what they're here to do by the soul age, um, there are 10 levels 
not obviously not 10 lives, but 10 levels with, you know, maybe say 10 to a dozen lifetimes within each level. And it all depends on who we are and different experiences. You know, some people could whiz through it. Other people take a lot longer. Um, but if you look at any soul level, you can kind of tell what the focus is. You know, we've got a lot of um, young, level five young souls in government. They're drawn to the power. Um, they tend to be. Well, that's part of the journey is that the younger souls tend to be more conservative. The older souls tend to be more progressive. Again, it's just you know, right now what's happening in the States. I think that would go over really well to talk about that in our political system. <laughs> You're uh, a young soul. Not to go off at a tangent, but, you know, it drives <laughs> me nuts that so many people who consider themselves spiritual say, I'm not political or I don't get involved. Or, I don't want to know. Um, and, you know. Being spiritual is more than just kind of doing your yoga and your meditation. Those are means to an end. You know, it's like um, practical spirituality is really about how you show up in the world and what you do for others and what you do to help create a better world. And by hiding your head in the sand, you're not exactly helping. You know, um, what I've been saying for a while is that for every person who says I'm spiritual, not religious, there's going to be a 10-year-old girl in Texas carrying her stepfather's baby to full term. You know, we should be involved in, and, you know, aware of what's happening in the world, even if it doesn't affect us. I mean, there's that huge sense of entitlement where people go, things like, well, both parties are the same. Well, no, they're fucking not. You know, they're not. They're very, very different. Now, maybe if all you're concerned about is your 401k and how that's doing, okay, there's no difference. But if you're transgender or you're uh, an immigrant or whatever, yeah, they're not the same. You know, um, and what I was saying about, you know, younger souls, they lack that ability to see that we're all connected. So, you know, that's why they always have to have an enemy like, um, you know, transgender people are it right now. And, uh, but, you know, generally they, they pick on the marginalized. When you're talking about it too, like the program of power, where the classroom of power, where if you're in fear that somebody else has more power than you, then you're going to go into survival modes of trying to take that power and usurp it because you want more for you based on survival mechanisms that haven't been cleared. And that's the connection then to the younger soul is then coming into the embodiment of, you know, the human, which I was going to ask you kind of leads into when in your experience and in talking to the guides, have they mentioned about how the soul enters a human and what age? Uh, the soul enters around about the time of birth, you know, um, pretty much with the first breath. Uh, interestingly, when my first child was born and took the first breath, I had a momentary out-of-body experience. Um, I mean, just for a, a few seconds. And... Uh, Later, I'm talking to spirit guides and going, you know, what the hell was that? They went, uh, oh, that was the moment the soul came in and we we're just feeling it. Um, so, you know, it's not a lot for the soul to do, you know, in utero. Every soul makes an agreement with the parents. You know, you choose your parents and they choose you, which always causes people to go, what the hell was I thinking? You know, but often it's to trigger fears and things to be worked on. There's a lot of different reasons. But... Um, 
the soul that comes in to be a baby can be hovering around for quite a while. You know, people have said to me, I know I'm going to have a little girl and they're not even pregnant yet. And sure enough, you know, they end up having a little girl and the agreement has already been made. And even the gender can be chosen ahead of time. It doesn't always work out like that. That's one of the reasons you can get transgender um, issues. I have a transgender child, so I feel very strongly about trans issues and feel pretty mad at the way transgender kids are being treated uh, right now by those who are completely ignorant of the subject, have no right to be legislating on topics that they don't understand. But unfortunately the world that we live in. How does that work then in your family where then your child chose, you know, your soul? And another question with that, are you from the same soul family, different soul families? Uh, my kids are both in the same soul families as me. Yeah. Um, which is a large group of souls that come into the world at the same time. And if you're, I'm a pretty old soul, uh, I was joking, I could tell you anything, you know, uh, but I am, um, you know, happen to be sort of right towards the end of the journey. Thank God, I often think. And uh, so my soul family and I would have come in roughly, I, I've never actually checked, probably about 6,000 years ago. It gives you some idea of how long it takes to get through maybe 100 and something lifetimes, um, bouncing between the physical plane and the astral plane. Um, so, you know, and the kids came in by agreement and, um, you know, mutual agreement. And you often see it in a family where there may be one parent who's not in the soul family and they feel, they look like a bit of an outsider, you know, like, um, dad's not fully engaged or, you know, mom and the kids seem to be much more aligned, you know? So. You often see that where the agreement is much more with one parent over another. Sometimes if mom and dad are sole family, then chances are the kids will be very aligned with that as well. And so then in your family, when you had your epiphany, um, when you were in that bookstore and that put you on this path and then in relationship to you parenting your child, where was your child at that point? Oh, my child was on the astral plane. You know, at that point, I hadn't met the mother. That was um, just shortly after, and um, and she got pregnant. You know, kind of right away. It comes to the moment I looked at her. It's like, bang, she, oh, it does just give me chills because so one thing I always do is the story dot connections, and how then you leading up to your epiphany, and then your child being born into this physical world, and really, it's like yes, you have that moment that's going to then guide you in terms of this psychic soul work you're doing, but then also, you know, where we are now in terms of transforming into unity consciousness, like it's so much bigger than probably you may not, you may even recognize back then to where we are now to where then in terms of the beneficial aspect of like injustice that comes up where you're like, okay, we need to really clear this in this physical world because this is not really serving people and it's actually causing more harm, which then that when you're coming up with that compassion of like something more needs to be done, it just kind of activates in a beneficial way. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, if, if I'm understanding correctly, yeah. Um, 
you know, justice, talking about that, that's a really big deal for a lot of old souls coming into wanting to create a fairer world and not just for themselves, but for other people as well. Again, that's to do with that connection with others, you know, greater awareness that what happens to you is happening to somebody else. Um, so coming in and working for justice and uh, my kids who are now t um, 21, 22, they're very politically active and, um, you know, a bit of an activist. I mean, you know, my trans child has to be, you know, from people who are, you know, mistreated and marginalized are forced almost into that, um, that role. But I'm very proud of my kids. They are um, very aware of social issues and the need for greater justice and fairness in the world. Um, little old souls, because, you know, we're not here just to sort of do our own thing, make our pile and call it good. You know, it's not, um, not no soul comes here just to make money. I mean, you look at Elon Musk or, you know, Bezos or whoever, I mean, the souls must be screaming at them, you know, for God's sake, you know, share some of this money, you bastards. <laughs> you know? So how can you hear your soul? Like, what would be some tips and tools for people to understand? I think it takes a lot of work, you know, because we are so um, caught up in our minds so much of the time and uh, with so many distractions. Um, but it can be a lot of stuff you're not even aware of, like uh, the soul in you know, encouraging you to um, maybe call somebody on the phone. It's just like, you know, out of the blue, you think, oh, I'm spoken to so-and-so. And it's like the soul's kind of going, yep, great, got, got through there. You know, you're going, oh, I must call grandma or whatever. So um, little nudges are some of the ways that the soul will communicate. But I was saying before, the soul knows your life plan. So when you're given an opportunity, say, um, Somebody says, hey, you know, we'd like you to sail this ship. I was talking to a friend of mine. We'd like you to sail this yacht from Hawaii to the States. Um, and he goes, great. Now he's a sailor. He's got time in his hands, whatever. He's like, well, you know, great thing to do. He feels enthusiastic. If somebody said to me, you know, I want you to sail this yacht from Hawaii to America, my heart would sink. I'd go, holy cow. Oh, no, my God, I might drown. I hate it. I don't know how to sail this but you know, it's where would I get the ship? You know, the whole <laughs> the whole thing would be, oh my God, please no. Um, the emotions are the voice of the soul, you know. So that's the important thing to really pay attention to. How do you feel about something? You know, really genuine. You know, feeling of do you get excited? You know, if you're a woman and you go to the doctor and they they say, oh, you're pregnant. Well, if your immediate reaction is, oh my God, no, then. You know, that's the soul kind of going, oh, shit, that wasn't meant to happen, or, you know, we're not too happy about that, or the timing's bad, or whatever. Um, but if you go, oh, my God, that's great news, you know, that enthusiasm and the emotions are telling you that that's something that's encouraged. So then how, um, if somebody's really blocked in their purpose, how do you work with them, and how does it work then in terms of um, in present life and then past lives coming in. Yeah. So somebody asked me what the purpose is, you know, what I look at, first of all, who you are is why you're here. That's a fundamental thing. You look at your, um, soul types and these, this is the personality that you chose to bring into this world. And it tells you about, um, the experiences that you want to have in this, in this world, actually talking about my son. 
a good example is that I read my kids when they were like an hour old and, uh, you know, got a good sense of what they were about. And uh, one fascinating thing about my oldest was um, that he had, in his soul types, he's got the creator and the thinker. These are two soul types, but they're equal. And that's a very unusual thing. Usually you have a, like a dominant soul type and then some influences. And uh, I was going, oh, this is so interesting. And I'm thinking, what do you do with being a very rational person and very creative in equal measures? And I um, used to joke, maybe he'll become a medical illustrator you know, science and art. And uh, he actually um, graduated last year with degrees in oceanography and marine biology and is now doing a PhD, but is also doing some very creative work associated with it. So, you know, blending those sort of two things. So when people ask about purpose, there's one other thing I want to stress is that there's this idea that there's this elusive holy grail of purpose that you just can't figure out i don't know something i'm here to do there's not always there's not always just one thing but there's often a big thing but lots of little things as well or it can be a, a few medium sized things but the idea that was this sort of um, <clears throat> mysterious thing is that you know we somehow sense but we just can't put a finger on um it's often because there are multiple things we're here to do. Um, and, you know, very few times do I ever have somebody where I say, oh, you should be doing such and such, where they go, oh, my God, no, I mean, you know. It's usually, oh, my gosh, I always wanted to do that. Oh, here's an interesting one. If you wonder what your purpose is, if you have questions like that, look at who your heroes are. Look at who you would admire. Back in the days when I was a cartoon illustrator, all my heroes were cartoonists. You know, I could have told you the biographies of cartoonists, I had a gazillion cartoon books. Um, it was just, you know, I was fascinated by that. So if you find that, you know, your heroes are all healers or they're all musicians or they're all writers or whatever, that will tell you what you're here to do. Um, actually talking of these things, writing is one thing that comes up a lot. Many more people are meant to write in this world than think they are. They often get the enthusiasm robbed by being forced to write at school or having to write reports at work or something like that. But uh, many, many more of us are meant to be writers than know it. But, you know, usually people have some sense of what they're here to do. And if you look at the soul types, you want to make sure. So what are the soul types? Yeah. Well, the 10 soul types would be um, helper, caregiver, thinker, educator, creator, performer, hunter, leader, spiritualist, and transformer. And so we're all made up of combinations of these. For example, you're a spiritualist type. That really means you're here to make sure whatever you do has a higher purpose. I mean, it's sort of bottom line there, but you learn to be a spiritualist type through being a healer, which is why you're drawn to certain things in this life. Am I just one thing? No, you're... <laughs> no, no, you're multifaceted because, <laughs> well, if you don't mind me talking about you, okay. so let me just give you the rundown. You're a spiritualist with a primary performer influence. You have a secondary creator, thinker, educator combination, and you've got a caregiver. So here's what you look like with that combination. Your soul spiritualist in you wants the higher purpose, wants life to have meaning. It's really important. 
you're not going to be fulfilled. I don't know, selling cigarettes at a convenience store. You know, it's not your purpose. You'd know that pretty quickly. You know, you'd be bored. Your soul would be going, that's not what you want to do. Um, the primary performer influence is there to make sure that you get your thoughts out into the world, connect with people, avoid becoming a hermit because there's some major past life trauma around that. A little tendency to hide your light and you want to make sure you're overcoming that. Also to get over any worries that it might be egotistical to be in front of a microphone or whatever. No, you're here to make sure that you get a point across and influence the world for the better. So the more people you can reach, the better it is. Yeah, you've got the creator in there. So uh, that super sensitivity that comes with being a creator, an artist in other lifetimes, um, that helps the spiritualist in you connect to the spirit world with a view to making this a more intuitively led life. So really about developing your intuition. It's a strange little thing, but when you see that combination, it's always a goal. The next two things are really interesting, the thinker and the educator. They're there to um, ensure that you grow and learn because you're a super old soul. I mean, this could be your last life. Um, usually the thinker educator is there to make sure that you're a continual learner, that you're always learning, always moving forward. Um, and you're right at the end of level 10. If you were a little bit younger, then it would be really clear. You would be, um, it would be a very academic path. You would be here to get degrees and masters and a PhD and learn, learn, learn. Because you're getting close to the end of the journey, you don't want to get too caught up in theory. So it's more about learning classes, workshops, seminars, training, um, learning this, fascinated by that, learning something, moving on, strings to your bow, continually growing. It's like the shark that has to keep swimming forward to survive. You've got to keep growing and learning. And you can't go wrong almost, you know. If something intrigues you, you want to learn it, take a class, you know, even if you don't use it, still you've learned something new and that's going to be fulfilling. And then the last element that shows up in there is the caregiver, which is the very nurturing feminine part of you. And it's designed to really help you keep your heart chakra open in this life. Um, uh, which is actually a big goal. A lot of times the heart chakra gets shut down in past lives because of trauma and it's a soul's way of protecting you, but then it becomes a goal to open the heart chakra in this life or future lifetimes. Um, and that's something you're doing. Having a dog, by the way, it's <laughs> a great way to... <laughs> right, which, by the way, um, you mentioned all those classes. I just got a certification in sound bath healing. Yeah. I just finished that two-year mindfulness program. <laughs> And I just recently took up knitting as well. <laughs> I'm like, it's everything that you're saying is like so spot on. It's all there in the chart. Um, and I've been doing this now for 25 years. So I'm very used to seeing how these different combinations uh, work. You know, one of the challenges that you have because of that thinker educator combination is second guessing your intuition or overthinking things in general. So it should be a lot easier at this stage in your life. but. I'm sure the overthinking thing was a major challenge. Well, when you were speaking about how, um, when you were first going out in the world and wanting to make sure that you're responsible with the information, I have that like same sense of wanting to be responsible because I've heard from clients where they have gotten psychic information that they've really held onto that has become in some ways, um, it's just affected them non-beneficially. 
And so it's like, I wanting to make sure, which probably goes with the heart, with the caregiver, wanting to make sure that what I am doing is going to be beneficial rather than causing that, you know, that derailment, if you will. So I had to really work through that with my guides in a lot of different ways. It's finding ways to give the information uh, that's empowering and not not disempowering. Um, And also, I mean, for example, I would never get for somebody when they're going to die. And uh, I had a client, I think I might have put this in one of my books, but she was, I can't remember the exact age, but it was something like she was told by a psychic she was going to die at the age of 75. And there she was at 73, starting to get kind of anxious. And um, what I got from my guys was, no, you know, you don't know when you're going to, they don't know, you don't know. It's like, that's not carved in stone or anything. Um, but how very limiting and fear provoking is it to hear that? Somebody did that to me when I was, I was 21, I think, and they uh, did a reading and told me when I was going to die. And it was like, no, I've talked to my guides about that. You know, how am I going to really die then? And they go, no, that person was just full of it, you know, and what a stupid, irresponsible thing to, uh, to say to anybody. So my guides always say in terms of the, they'll say the death date is something that is between the human and the soul. And it's not really known to outside sources. Um, because of that agreement between the soul and the human, and also because of what you're talking about, there have been moments when someone is in their transition where the soul has come in to let me know. And I was once actually teaching a meditation class and a friend of mine's mom was in transition and her soul popped in. And I was so like, like, whoa. And I had to immediately go into doing Reiki and connecting into the information and the understanding, but it was really just because to support my friend moving through it. But the mom had already like was transitioned, but it, that's what they talked to me about a lot about how that's just something that's very, um, and a lot of times private. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're getting really close to the end, you know, it's pretty clear. And if this is such an inevitability, then there's no you know, there, there's no problem. I mean, even then, the exact moment is hard to see. But, you know, I'm thinking of when my mother was on her last legs and my wife and I were going to take a trip over to Scotland to uh, just, you know, help her out and um, spend the last few weeks with her. And uh, the spirit guides chose the dates, saying that this would be the perfect timing. We were going to go a bit earlier, and they said, no, you know, put it back a couple of weeks and it was perfect i mean we went there for three weeks and literally halfway through she passed and so we're there to support her and then to sort of help clean out the house and the funeral was on the day we flew out you know so it was the timing was clearly seen then but i've had people ask you know when's my mom gonna die i go can't tell you you know it's just but it's maybe personal you know her soul might not want to share it with uh with others you never know so it's not somewhere i would ever go to how do you define psychic in your readings? Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you know, what does it mean to be psychic? I mean, like, you know, just it's the ability to just really sort of be able to hear your spirit guides. And that's just practice. Anyone can do it. I mean, it's like playing the violin. Some people are going to be a lot better than others. They're going to get in a lot more quickly, you know. But, um, you know, we all have capacity to develop these things. 
some it's going to be a real uphill struggle, but for others, they've just never really tried. Well, like me, you know, I, like people telling me I'm psychic and I was just going, you know, I don't feel psychic. I would love to. I mean, it was actually a sort of interesting thing that my heroes had started to become psychics, you know, like I was fascinated by them. How do they do this? So who were your heroes? Well, you know, there was a guy the name of uh, David Walton, an old guy in the south of England who was um, astonishing. I mean, you know, astonishingly accurate. And uh, he blew me away. Unfortunately, when I when I went to see him, it was at the end of a, a very long day in the pub with uh, some friends. So, you know, my recollection of all that was said was not, it was a bit hazy, but it was incredibly accurate stuff that I, I remembered. And he was the one who told me that I would end up in California. And this is another, I mean, you know, this is almost as big as that thing with my uncle was that um, I'd been in the States for five years and then um, I needed to get out and uh, somebody's apartment came up in San Francisco. I was living in Atlanta and she said I could have it for a month while she was gone. And uh, so I went, that's great. You know, I really need to get, you know, out of here. And so it was literally on my first hour in, the, in this empty apartment that I heard the voice of David Walton, the psychic, from at least a decade before. Uh, and he told me in the session, he said, you're going to end up in California. And I went, oh, God, went there once, didn't like it. Um, <laughs> you know, based on sort of like a trip I'd had when I was just young. And I've actually learned to really like California. <laughs> it's a very big place. There's a lot of variety. But my first reaction was, oh, God, no, I don't want to do that. And he said, there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing. And I thought that was really, you know, curious. And so I'm sitting in this empty apartment, peaceful, really quiet, San Francisco's Knob Hill area. And I've been through so much stress, you know, for years. And I just sat down. I remember just taking a deep breath and going, fuck, this is great. Oh, wow. I could relax. And out of the blue, almost in the room, as if there were speakers in the ceiling, I heard the voice of the psychic. He's going, you're going to end up in California. There's nothing you can do about it. And I, and I, I went from being like totally relaxed to going, bloody hell, what was that? I'm sort of like dancing about the room going, holy crap, oh my God. You know, I mean, it was like, it freaked me out, but it also really got my attention. And, um, and it didn't feel like it was in my head. It felt it was like, a, you know, external. And, you know, his voice, and it was like, oh, my God, you know, like, it got me really thinking about how the heck does this work? How do psychics do it? What is the mechanism? So th there's a bookstore, I don't know if it's still there, um, in San Francisco, Fields Bookstore, it's a metaphysical place. And I just went down the next morning, and I bought about, well, as many books as I could carry on different um, spiritual topics. And over the next um, month or so, or a couple of months maybe, I just read, 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 read. I mean, everything about near-death experiences, past lives, um, you know, some stuff that was absolute rubbish, other gems, things that really thought-provoking. And I was trying to figure out how does it work? Because I made no specific effort to end up in California. I wasn't in any way trying to make a prediction come true. 
Had you forgotten about it? Pretty much. I mean, it wasn't like something I'm thinking about at the time. I told people at dinner parties and stuff about, oh, yeah, and he told me I'd end up in California. But, you know, I never thought, how the hell am I going to end up there? I mean, what on earth is going to take me there? And so as I'm on the plane or, you know, heading over there, I'm not for one second thinking about what the psychic said. And then it was like, oh, <laughs> well, this is what he was talking about. That moment of realization of like, oh, here it is. And it's almost like you're saying it's tangible, like you can yeah. feel it. And that projection of his voice in the external, you're like, oh, this is the moment. Yeah. You know, that really got my attention. Obviously not sufficiently because, you know, then they had to send me my uncle like i don't know six months later when i can't remember exactly when it was but you know i, I had to get the second you know kick in the pants and reminder <laughs> that i'm supposed to be doing this and so in terms of being psychic there's a lot of different elements and it's it's kind of like also in thinking about a lot of different career options and so for you you connected with purpose and present life and then past lives. How did you end up? Did you even believe in past lives? Or was that the moment when you went to the bookstore where all of a sudden you're like, what's really happening here? Like, when was that moment for you with the connection to past lives? That was interesting because um, I remember, you know, when I was saying that I went to see a psychic before running into my uncle in Hawaii. Um, she's another one I really admire, Kathleen Lowry, um, you know, a trans channeler. Um, amazing talent and uh I, and she was very encouraging i mean like oh you know you should be doing this work and um you know that really helped to uh kind of push me forward and push me into this did she say past lives specifically or just psychic abilities um no at that point it was the the past life thing didn't come up but in that conversation um I remember saying to her something, I can't remember now what it was, but I remember saying, maybe it's a past life, but I remember saying to myself, almost embarrassed, to sort of, oh, God, she's going to say there's no such thing. And she went, yeah, it is a past life thing. And I went, oh, right. You know, um, and she was somebody I trusted. But so even right up to that point and having read all these books and everything, I was still skeptical. I mean, it was this weird thing that I really considered myself to be very rational and very skeptical, but obviously at the same time, fascinated by psychics and trying to figure out the spiritual world. So it, it was, you know, definitely trying to hold two different thoughts in my head. But, um, the past life thing was really one much more once I started getting into it. Uh, like I said at the beginning, you know, past lives explain everything, quirks, idiosyncrasies, likes, dislikes, fears, phobias. I mean, all of these things are past life related. Where do any of these mysterious things come from? Um, a lot of ailments, and this is something that really fascinated me, um, certain ailments are past life related and will shift very, very quickly. Um, now, I don't call myself a healer. Healing comes up in the work. Um, I'm not a medical intuitive or anything like that. And I'm very reluctant to say I can cure anything because I really don't know. It's a very much a sort of individual thing. So, and I always say with this work, it comes with no guarantees, no promises, but amazing things do seem to happen. And, um, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just about to put out a blog post about somebody I um, helped last year overcome Crohn's disease, uh, which they'd had since they were 14. You know, of course, with a lot of these sort of ailments that I've helped people to overcome, they've been through the works, you know, all the medical treatment and the challenges of 
dealing with a chronic ailment or something, and then you know they find a past life source, and a couple of weeks later the issue has cleared up. So for this person, was there a past life that was connected and then it got cleared and then in the physical body, the Crohn's disease was cleared? In that case, I uh, can't remember exactly what it was, but it was uh, abdominal trauma. It would be stabbing or being shot or something like that. I can't remember now, but, uh, you know, that's a common thing. I mean, you see people with IBS, um, you know, from being stabbed in the abdomen and uh, things. There's, you know, you can sort of almost predict how things are going to show up. The interesting thing is that for years that people weren't coming to me for healing. They were just coming to me and, you know, in the middle of a session, I'd say, well, do you have an issue with migraines because you had this major head trauma in the past life? And they'd go, oh yeah, chronic migraines. And then I'd find that next time I spoke to them and they'd go, you know, I haven't had a migraine since we spoke last. Or the, you know, whatever kind of issue had healed up. I mean, somebody's shoulder pain disappears or, um, you know, they no longer have the um, well, two people I helped last year with psoriasis that cleared up just, you know, um, I say almost immediately. I mean, it would be like, you know, I think a week or a month, I could, no, a couple of weeks or a month. Um, but usually if it's going to happen, it doesn't take years. You know, if it's going to happen, it will be, you know, fairly dramatic. So how do you see the past lives? Oh, how do I see them? Well, that's interesting. Um, I just, you know, I get the information. Literally, my spirit guides will just say there's a past life in, you know, Belgium and, uh, you know, she was a guy and uh, here's what happened. I do this a lot. Um, I started doing this a few years ago uh, before somebody calls for the first session. I'll get a past life uh, about them. And then it helps me to know what um, sort of things we're dealing with. Because then those past lives... Um you know, just to kind of bring it into relevance can be blocking something in their present life, which can be blocking their purpose. So is there anything from the sessions that we did that we can talk about, like some of my past lives, just to kind of explain? We absolutely can. Um, okay. So what have we got? We've got quite a long one here. You were a traveler, you know, Roma, um, uh, back in Europe somewhere. You were female, you're about 12 years old. Your father married you off to a much older man uh, for money. Um, there's a few things there. <laughs> they said you were disgusted by sex and his breath and lack of hygiene. Um, you know, so that'll show up in some way in this life. You know, like, um, I don't know if your sexual partners need to be particularly, you know, have nice smelling breath or... Uh, <laughs> like it's funny because when I do think of like the 1700s and 1800s, I actually... Do you think it must have smelled so gross? I was watching a Viking show the other day and I was like, Ugh, it probably stank back then. But that's interesting. You see, another person would never even think about that. But you're thinking about it because that was your experience. You know, it's like, um, I find this all the time that people, they have obsessions or that they focus on things that, you know, um, I put in my last book, I called it 100 people in a room, you know, where how many people would you have to put in to find somebody else who had this quirk or idiosyncrasy, like the uh, woman who's asking her about her daughter. And I said, oh, you know, she's six years old. And I said, um, she used to be an orchestra conductor. And she went, oh, that explains that why she wanted for Christmas was a conductor's baton. You know, it's like, 
a six-year-old wanting that exactly how many six-year-olds when you're when they're presented with you know what do you want for christmas they go oh i want a conductor's baton um but that's why you know she's um, tapping into her own past life experience and wants you know was obviously very happy and uh, fulfilling and she wants to sort of re-experience some of that but um let me see what else we have uh here um yeah, you were forced back after trying to leave the guy. So, I mean, it's going to be a lot of powerlessness issues. You know, you want to be very empowered in this life. It would actually even tie into what you might want to do for other people, which would be to empower them as well, because it's such a big thing for you. Um, you, you a, a pretty um, awful death there, you know. Um, oh, no, you died in childbirth. That's what it was. And there's also a fever associated with that. Um, Usually when somebody dies in childbirth, fertility issues will show up in this life. Um, and that's something that I've been able to help a few women get over. Um, so clearing the past life trauma then supports in this present life, allowing you to be fertile in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of them, I wrote about her in my second book, The Transformation. Um, Which, by the way, I have it right here. Yeah. And I mean, it is underlined a lot in here. The transformation was the first book that I discovered. And when I read it, it just, I mean, it just opened up my world, like the understanding of healing your past lives to like realize your soul purpose. And I'd already been um, seeing past lives, but I kept asking the guys, I was like, there's a piece that I just, in my human functioning, I couldn't quite get to. And then all of a sudden, your book like dropped into my life and made such a profound um, just experience for me. I reached out to you and just had to tell you just how, you know, incredible it was and how much it was helpful. And then from there I met you and Christine. Right. Well, the, uh, the, the soul family, <laughs> how we meet, you know, uh, but there was a story that I put in there. It's about, a, it was a young woman, she was 35 when she spoke to me. And uh, she said to me, I want to get pregnant. I really want to have a baby. But she'd been told by doctors that she, um, when she was 16 years old, she was told she had the hormones of a menopausal woman. Um, she was told to forget that she'd ever have kids naturally. Um, she'd been to fertility clinic just before we spoke, and they said, look, it's not going to happen. Um, and this was a weird one because the spirit guide said to me, if she does the past life work today, she'll be pregnant within three weeks. And uh, I was going, holy cow, you know, I'm just saying to her, I, look, I hate it when they do this because I feel like such responsibility. So, you know, I gave her that information with loads of caveats. I don't know. You told her the three weeks? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we find a past life where she had died in childbirth alone. Um, she was on the banks of a river and uh, she collapsed, gave birth and then died. And so what was happening in, in now is the soul exerts such power over the mind body spirit bundle because the soul literally can't see the difference can't separate the three parts um that's one of the reasons why this all works and because she died alone um the souls kind of go we're not going to let this happen again that's a, the sense of abandonment that you get from dying alone is, it's probably the soul's biggest fear and so it was exerting this uh influence over the body to cause infertility and um and I said, well, you know, according to the guides, uh, you know, three weeks from now, she should be pregnant. And we left it at that. Um, she was also telling me about how much fear she had being beside water 
you know, it's the, the memory of dying beside a river. So then, and she got back to me, uh, two weeks later, she was pregnant. She knew it. She said she knew the day after, and she kept saying, I'm going to have a little girl, and uh, told her husband, who thought she lost her mind. Um, a couple of interesting little things about it that I loved was a few weeks later, she's starting to get some morning sickness, and uh, she goes to her grandmother's for Christmas dinner or something, and she's not very hungry, and... Uh, and she goes, no, thanks, Grandma, and uh, I'm not hungry. And Grandma goes, oh, it's okay, it's just a baby. And she goes, well, I haven't told anybody. And uh, she said, no, you came to me in a dream the other night and told me you're having a little girl. <laughs> and uh, nine months later, she gave birth to a healthy, happy little girl. And uh, what was very sweet as well was she was, I can't remember if I put this in the book, but uh, she was talking about the effect was not just on her, but it was um, the effect on the whole family, you know, first grandchild, it's a major sort of thing for everybody. And of course, she was meant to have a child. It was, you know, it was part of her life plan. So your session with her ended up having that effect on everyone. I think what, uh, you know, what she's touching on is the sort of ripple effect that we get with, you know, with, with this work. You know, for example, so if I help somebody get out of their corporate job and into becoming a healer, the ripple effect is absolutely enormous because of all the people that they will help and heal as they go through life. And, you know, I think a lot of us are just unaware of just how much of a ripple we create with the good stuff that we do in this life. And a lot of times the soul is looking for that. Your soul's looking for that because of that uh, performer. And it wants as much bang for the buck. It wants to reach as many people as possible and have that sort of influence. It's actually, not to get too esoteric, but it's related to something else in your life plan, which is called a desire for immortality, which is actually not about living forever, but it's about wanting to leave a legacy or create a ripple effect. Writing a book's by far and away the most common way I see people expressing that. I get that a lot. My, my, as I'm like, my throat chakra just goes down. It's all about the throat <laughs> chakra, because you've got some issues about being seen. It actually relates in part to that um, past life that we're talking about. There's other ones, but um, you stood out. There's a bit I missed out there where you, know, you tried to leave, you came back, and you were actually flogged kind of publicly in front of people, um, you know, to teach you a lesson or whatever. And uh, that creates an issue with being in the spotlight. And, uh, you know, you'll have to work through issues in this life about getting over fears around public speaking and being in the spotlight. And, that kind of thing. I'm sure that's something you've had to work through. I, I still am working through it. So I, I took a um, public speaking class in college and my first speech, I ran out of the classroom um, within the first two minutes, but the guides kept, you know, really on it for me. And then I, when I moved to, I took acting classes that actually really helped me, but something that they gave me as a child, as a mantra, like, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And so anytime I felt that fear rising up, which even when you were just talking about um, describing it, I could feel the fear of being in that past life. Mm -hmm. And then immediately, though, I just start saying, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, which brings me back to presence. Um, but I would love to talk to you. How do you, like, how do you teach people to understand it's like something that's happening from past life, not something that happened from like childhood? How do you discern those energies? 
Well, you know, I often tell people that I don't need to know what happened in your childhood. I can extrapolate and I can get a very good sense based on what I'm seeing in a past life and uh, the choices that you've made and the things that you're working through. You know, I can tell what fears are up and, and so on. That's just a simple message from the spirit guides. Um, so the challenge, you know, people will say, well, you know, I thought my issue with such and such was because of what happened to me when I was five years old. Well, it might be. But if there's a past life that's analogous, then that's the root cause. And that's why you have a problem. What happens in this life is much more likely to be a trigger, not a cause. And the other thing is that with past life issues, we often get like a, an overreaction. Now, if you're bitten by a, a German shepherd in this life, you know, when you're a kid, you might have a a fear of German shepherds. When you're older, you know, maybe sensibly, but you know, your soul's going, hey, we were bitten by one of those before, so, you know, watch out. Um, but you're not going to get that huge phobic reaction. But when people completely freak out about things or they're, you know, obsessed or whatever it is, you know, that's a sign of a past life issue where it's irrational. It's, I mean, phobias are all past life um, fears, they're death related fears. So, in fact, um, the fear of public speaking, which includes uh, stage fright, uh, performance anxiety, uh, being tested, that sort of thing, um, that comes from judgment in a past life. And that judgment is, it could be something, I mean, sort of typically it would be a court of law where you're tried and then you're sent off and executed. So the soul is relating being judged with death. And so then you get in front of an audience and it freaks out. It goes, oh my God, we got to get you out of here. And it will go into one of the modes that, you know, psychologists would talk about, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And those are past life uh, responses as well. So if you have a past life fear of powerlessness, that's where you might get the flight thing, you know, like, um, or even fight, you know, it could, but maybe not so much that in that scenario, but all the fears are behind those trauma responses. You know, why we fought in this past life fear of inferiority is that's from being treated as lesser in a past life. In this life, it causes you often to become a placator or to fawn, and you, you're basically trying to stay out of trouble. Um, Going into survival mode. Survival mode, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so what you see happening in this life is so often a trigger which is a, a memory coming up of a past life. The soul always looks back for reference, never forwards. So all the time what it's doing is that like, you know, anytime there's a stressor of any kind, it goes back to the past and it goes, oh, this is what we do when we get in this situation, you know, and that can be a problem. I mean, you know, for I mean, even, you know, suicidal ideation would be, those are past life memories. You know, when the soul goes, oh, how do we deal with the breakup of a uh, romantic relationship? And it goes back and, and it finds that past life in France in the 1800s where you took opium and alcohol or something. And it goes, oh, we take, uh, we take drugs and alcohol. That's how we deal with it or whatever. You know, it's just that always looking back for, for reference and coming back into the present. And, uh, you know, sometimes with that exaggerated fear response. And the moment you find a past life, often, you know, I mean, I've literally had people shift in the moment before the end of a session, you know, 
pain has gone mm -hmm. or um, the fear has lifted. That realization moment of the connection of the story dot is, I mean, I just feel like it's just so powerful and, um, and then bringing it into, because in my work in terms of energy healing, it's then processing the story cycle and then it comes into completion. And then once it's completion, it can be cleared and let go, which brings you the hold of the past life is no longer there. Yep. That gripping energy. Cause how I feel past life energy, like it just, like you're saying, it just feels so strong. Like something that happened in childhood, it might feel like it, it's at like a three, something that happened in a past life is like beyond a 10. It is so strong that you're like, why would something like that so affect me? And like, for me with public speaking, like, where did that come from? And it's something that I've been working on since I was a child. And they gave me that. It actually happened when I um, first went into school because I had a past life that um, I had walked into a room and then um, something not great happened. And so I had a fear of walking in to rooms and doors closing and something happened. I remember it started when I went to first grade. And so that's when I first got the I'm okay, I'm okay. Because I would just be like, I'm okay, I'm okay. It was the guides that gave, I mean, yeah. Jesus is one of my spirit guides. And so Jesus actually gave it to me and really teaching the nervous system, right? Where you're safe, you're in this present moment, you're not back there, you're okay. And it ended up being like a huge lifeline but really the bigger clearings didn't happen until I started understanding past lives. And some of that stuff was a past life experiencing. And then, you know, our work together really did progress me in a lot of ways. And part of it was, you know, I bought podcasting equipment like three years before I started podcasting. And even though I had like 20 years of experience of being an executive producer, but that was behind the scenes, right? It was safe behind the scenes. And what I think is interesting is like in terms of the guidance that we have, you're being guided and shown in a lot of different ways. And they were showing me how like like when I worked in TV, they were preparing me for this because I had to kind of go around in some ways to get the comfortable space to be able to be safe in this experience. And even when I think about you being an illustrator, like you being an illustrator, you being a cartoonist, you drawing like aspects of making the characters come to life in terms of form and that form that looks like real like and like that connection to now where you're connecting past lives into this present moment of what could be actually affecting someone's form in that 3D experience, if that makes sense. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because it is, you know, um, and just to go back to what you're saying about public speaking, I had a huge, huge fear of public speaking. I mean, through the roof. I mean, uh, it was an 11 out of 10. It was really debilitating and uh, huge panic attacks um, and couldn't speak, uh, rushed out of many, many rooms, um, you know, and even touching on something else that you're talking about being trapped, door closing, being trapped. It's a fear of enclosed spaces, even if it's not tight, but it's, that's enough. And it's a fear of the unknown as well, going into a new environment, what's going to happen here. Um, and then on top of that, you've got the judgment. And if you have 
a fear of loss of control as well. This is where the panic attacks can come in and then sort of spiral out of control because you've got that fear. The loss of control often comes from past life where you bled out. That's most common cause. And then um, anytime you feel out of control in a situation, there's, the soul is overreacting because of that. Um, and it doesn't look like directly analogous, but that's how it's, you know, how it works. So, um, I mean, 30 years I didn't talk in public and um, at all. I wouldn't do meetings. I, I mean, I just didn't do it. I played music all my life. I was the bass player who hid behind the drums somewhere. You know, I couldn't even test a microphone. You know, the sound guys going, hey, bass player, just that mic. And, you know, I'd, uh, I'd pretend I didn't hear, you know, go and fiddle with my amp or something. Um, it was, you know, so performance anxiety, uh, stage fright, all that whole thing. Couldn't speak into a mic. And then I did the past life work. I found a past life source. And then actually what really helped me was um, I learned to do public speaking through Toastmasters and a uh, great organization. And uh, so that just gave me the opportunity to practice and see how it was developing. Uh, but I tried to go to Toastmasters the first time uh, before I'd done the work. And I, I got to the door and I actually opened the door and then closed it again and went back in the car and left. So then what was your past life that you discovered? Or was it multiple? Yeah, there was more than one. It, um, uh, a little too much probably to go into, you know, right now. But it was basically sort of being judged and executed. And uh, almost immediately after finding that, things changed. And I, you know, I really thought I was going to go to my death being unable to talk in public. It was, and it was such a big thing in my life. And because, because it was huge, I mean, it affected everything that I did because there was always that underlying fear, like, you know, in any group of people, it could be just with three people or two people. I mean, where somebody says, oh, you know, like this happened to me. I walked into a party one time and uh, somebody said, oh, tell everyone that joke you told me last night in the pub. And well, that was fine. We were one on one. Uh, and then suddenly there's 20 people going, you know, oh, why, why is he not saying anything? I go, got to go. <laughs> you know, it was. Um, you know, it was debilitating to be afraid of situations. Oh, my God. I mean, I wouldn't go into a room if somebody was speaking in case they said, oh, let's hear from that guy over there. It was like, no, I'd be out of there. Round robins. Fuck. I mean, I, you know, as it was coming closer to me, I'd be starting to pass out, sweat, you know, like, oh, my God, I got to get out of here. You know, it was like preschool meetings or something like that. It was, you know, it's like, it's not huge stuff, but it was like enough to trigger a fear. So it's that irrational overreaction um and it's just the soul going oh my god we're going to die again we're being judged and we're you know that we're in the spotlight and we don't want to be in the spotlight because that's a really dangerous place to be now i i got over it with past life work and one of the other ways that you can get over it particularly the fear around um rejection which is an interesting one it comes usually from dying alone in a past life but it could be abandonment by your mother or whatever this seems to unite every podcaster that I've spoken with in the last few years. All of them seem to be working through past life issue around rejection. And I know it's one of yours as well. It's the fear that makes you feel like a little bit of an outsider, or like you don't fully belong, you know, because you say you died alone in the battlefield or something. So, um, and the way that you overcome that, I will say three ways. Uh, one is to do the past life work. The other is to belong because any kind of belonging you don't get rejected helps to heal and the third way is to be some kind of a uniter and that's what you're doing 
you know you're bringing people in and um of course the going back to your soul types the work that you're doing as a podcaster is massively healing for you and it's super helpful for other people it's a spiritual act and it checks all the boxes when it comes to your soul types you know saying who you are is why you're here i mean you've got everything in there that it's perfect you know you're um the caregiver is going to make sure everything's coming from a place of compassion. The thinker wants to grow all the time, so you're going to grow with what you do. You, you know, you're never going to flatline. It's never going to be the same old thing. You know, it's, it's going to be continually evolving. The educator in you is wanting to impart knowledge. The performer wants to do that as well, but it wants to also make the thing entertaining. And the spiritualist wants to feel like there's a higher purpose to it all, that you're illuminating a path for others. So, as I say, it checks all the boxes. Amazing. I mean, those are some great tips for people. Thank you so much for that. And I know we're going to be wrapping up, but I do want to bring one other thing in. There was another past life thing I had, which was really interesting. Um, I was afraid to go to the bathroom in the public, in public. Like if I was in a toilet, like where the door closed, I mean, every door closes when you're in the toilet, but <laughs> um, this is this is how bad it was. Like I'm just thinking about now how I would get so scared that somebody was going to walk in on me when I was going to the bathroom. And particularly because when I worked in television, a lot of times we were filming in other people's homes. And so it was one thing to be at a hotel where you kind of you understand that there's going to be possibly like three or four or five bathroom stalls with a certain type of door. If you're going into someone's home, you don't really know what the locking mechanism is. And if I went into a very old home, like once I was filming in a Victorian home and that they had like really old types of locks. And so there was two things. One, does this lock work? And is someone going to be able to just come in and grab me? Or two, am I going to get stuck in this bathroom? And it was so terrifying. I mean, and my friends knew this. So if we were out in public somewhere, I would have to have a friend guard the bathroom. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, gosh, so many things there. But part of it would be related to that past life we talked about because there's uh, an issue with being seen. So like somebody walking in, you know, the whole privacy thing is going to be really big. Again, it goes to this thing of, you know, it's, it's self-expression, fear of self-expression. Part of it is that you've been exposed. You know, they said that you were in front of everybody, you were flogged. Um, I mean, that's going to do so many things, you know, fear of being seen, um, a boundary violation. And we also talked about, you know, you having the enclosed spaces issue. So you're in a tight space. Um, I'm actually thinking of a friend of mine in Britain who had some big past life fears around that she had a complete panic attack and they had to call i forget police ambulance or something like that uh, because she got trapped in the toilet and she went to uh, push the door open it wouldn't push and she kept pushing 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 and she, and she started i know that panic yeah and uh and then they discovered it actually pulled or vice versa or whatever and uh so you know, but she was in such a state of panic. It's like, that's what was going on. It's like that you lose the, you know, you lose the ability to think rationally. It's the panic. It overtakes you. Yeah, it's a loss of control. You know, um, even that thing of not being able to go if somebody's in the 
closet next to you, you know, and you can't go. That's fear around loss of control as well. You're holding it in. So for me, what ended up happening was I went to Peru years ago and I was doing an ayahuasca retreat for nine days. And on my, I think it was my second um, ayahuasca ceremony, I got guided to go into the bathroom area and I went into the bathroom area and I was literally just sitting on the toilet and um, a facilitator, you know, wanted to check on me. And I was just in such a state of like, yeah, I just need help and support. I'm completely open for receiving it for my highest good. And she came in and she just was like, are you okay? And it was the first time, like, I'm completely okay. I didn't have any kind of fear of someone coming in. And I'd set the intention to really heal in terms of my heart. And it was such a huge healing. I could see my spirit guides around me. And it was such a protective, beautiful space. And then since then, like it cycled and cleared. And I haven't had that um, experience since then. Um, but it was a moment where I was like, wow, my pants are literally at my ankles. And this is really funny. And I'm completely okay with this. Well, it's also, isn't it interesting to, to, to be able to witness the shift, you know, that you would not have been like that before, you know, um, this is why I often say to people that when you do this past life work, it shouldn't be like, you know, if I say to you in six months, you know, how's your issue with public speaking or how's your issue with whatever, it shouldn't be like, oh, exactly the same. It should be like some improvement, you know, like it's very odd, uh, very unusual if you don't get some improvement. Sometimes the issue can be that there are just multiple lifetimes playing into the same fear. Sometimes you need to take care of three or four, maybe even more sometimes. Uh, lifetimes. I remember working with a guy who, you know, I thought he'd be fine after one past life, a major self-expression thing, but we had to, in the end, do six past lives on the one issue, and then it, the whole thing took, you know, but um, so that's why sometimes it can be a little bit um, stubborn, but it's great to see, isn't it? Like when you see the proof of the, the that it works, you know, whatever the method, you know, like whether it's ayahuasca or whatever, um, you know, as they say, there's many rivers that lead to the ocean, but they all get you there. And that release that you're talking about, when you're let go of it, it is so, uh, to me, it's so transformational, which is why your book, again, the transformation, <laughs> like I know exactly what you're mentioning because the transformation that you feel, it's a physical feeling where it's, what the past may have had on you. And for me, it feels like a, the guys have been saying lately, say frequency feeler, because I can, um, I have like clear audience as well, where I can hear the in between, but it's more, they were saying it's more frequencies that you can hear and you can um, basically digest and then process out into the world, into the understanding. But when you're released from that gripping feeling, and you then are in the presence that that quality of presence is just so amazing, which, you know, that stillness that you were talking about early on, once you have that kind of stillness or that tranquility, it's, I feel like it's just, it was life-changing for me, which then showed me, okay, these are what all like why meditation is important for me or why past life work is important because then I can understand all these things to be able to use them to become into presence, which then allows me to be more in effortless flow 
of my purpose. And it's not so like, what is my purpose or how do I get there? It just, it's not about how I get there. It's for me, I'm like, is there something blocking that I need to clear? And is there something I'm not seeing in the understanding? Once you work through the fears, which is actually what I talk about in the transformation, you know, once they've gone, all that's left is you at your essence. I mean, honestly, if you, if you really want to, the fast track to really being who you want to be is, and who you're meant to be is uh, get rid of the fears. They're uh, the only thing that really um, blocks you, in my opinion, you know, fear of inferiority can tell you you're not good enough, you can't do it. Fear of public speaking, the, you know, that fear of um, self-expression, you know, oh my gosh, you know, if I really say what's on my mind, something will come back and bite me. You know, they, all these fears work in certain fairly predictable ways. Once you overcome them, I mean, like I know f from my own experience that getting over that fear around judgment has, you know, allowed me to do what I do. I mean, it would have been pretty awful if I'd had to keep the camera off here and type in my answers to your questions, you know. As you can see, I'm comfortable in front of a microphone. And uh, as I often joke, you know, after 30 years of not speaking in public, you can't shut me up now because, uh, you know, making up for lost time. How old were you when you um, that transformed? Well, when I did that work, it was, uh, it was around about the time I was writing my first book. And, uh, um, and spirit guys were saying, you can't exactly, you know, promote a book uh, if you can't talk about it. And I went, yeah, I know, I've got to deal with this. So <clears throat> they basically forced me to do it. And, uh, you know, I'd, I don't know, I had just a lot of resistance. I actually, and I thought the fear was so deep, I didn't think it would, that we were ever going to get over it either. And uh, so, you know, I was bowled over to have that. And I, tr I had tried everything um, up until that point. And uh, so how interesting is that you're writing, you're, was this in your 40s? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, maybe not even later. I don't know. It was about, um, well, I guess now, probably about 20 years ago. So what was your first book called again? What was the name of it? It's called The Instruction. Living so here you are writing a book called The Instruction. <laughs> And then the guys are like, seriously, you got to actually utilize the instruction on yourself. Physician heal thyself, you know? I mean, it was like, yeah, I look back, it's hilarious. I mean, I was writing the book and I was actually writing the book proposal. Uh, and in the proposal, I mean, there's a sort of formula for this and you have to promise your potential publisher that you will promote it. What will you do to promote the book? And I was saying, oh, I'll do radio interviews. I'll go on TV. And I was going, oh, shit, what if I actually have to do that? And I actually found myself going, God, I hope this book doesn't sell. And th that was the point where the spirit guys went, okay. And they actually said, sit down, my son, we need to talk. It was like, and they'd done a very sort of humorous, but paternalistic sort of way. And, uh, and I went, yeah, I know, you know, I know we've talked about this. I know I have to do it. And, uh, yeah, it's allowed me, see, it's not just helped me with getting in front of a microphone. It's helped me with any kind of situation, my confidence level, you know, it jumped like 500% the moment I got through this because I could go into any situation without that sinking feeling or, you know, I mean, parties, oh my God, they could be so difficult, you know, and uh, gigs with the band sometimes could be really uncomfortable and, um, you know, it, it just, the whole thing of being in the spotlight, people seeing me, um, 
And, you know, I couldn't have promoted my book. I couldn't have promoted my career. You went on Oprah. You couldn't have gone on Oprah. I would, I would have done it. No, no, I, I literally would have turned it down, you know, like just a couple of years before. And, um, and it literally prevents you from really living what brings you joy, too, in terms oh. of connection and talking about things that you love. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm passionate, as you can probably tell, about my subject. I'm just endlessly fascinated by how it all works. And uh, I couldn't be sharing that with the world if I hadn't been able to work through that fear. But then you also, what's amazing is that they had that, by the way, I've, I've had those sit down moments with my guides. Uh, they're not as gentle sometimes with me. Sometimes there's a very stern voice that comes in yeah. <laughs> or like a nudging. Um, yeah. But what's amazing is that you, in some ways, it was like a, you literally tested, does this really work? And so then from there, the confidence going into, you know, not only writing the book, but then promoting the book, you have your own factual experience because something that you thought could never be healed per se, or could never be removed from you was, and you were having a completely different reality experience. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, for a lot of people who are helping others and helping people to heal, um, your own experience is such a very important thing to bring to the table. Um, this is something my spur guy said to me uh, a while back, maybe a year ago now. Every so often we just have these little conversations, we'll bring up something. And they were pointing out that pre-internet, when we were looking for expertise from somebody, we tended to look for letters after their name, you know, the, the PhD or uh, the, the whatever. And, uh, and often what we'd get is that the person in the ivory tower who's not really got a lot of real world experience. And they said one of the big things that they felt about, you know, the advent of the internet and so on is that what people are looking for is help from people who walked the same path that, and transcended whatever issues they're dealing with. And that's what gives you credibility. They said to me, you can never be an effective grief counselor if you've never lost anyone. And that really stuck with me because I was reluctant. Part of, you know, when I was going through this, you know, for the early days of writing that first book, Spirit Guides wanted me to write about my own experiences in the introduction. And I was very reluctant to do that. It's like bearing my soul. And also, you know, just felt like such a, you know, screwed up so many things. I felt like it was a very checkered past. I, I went, oh God, you know, and you really want me to, particularly in the relationship area. And uh, I'm going, do we have to? And they're going, look, you know, this, yeah, this, you, you have to. And so many people said to me after the book came out, you know, it's great. You've worked through these things yourself, you know, and I wasn't the academic in the ivory tower knowing what's best for people, but hell, you know, I've been through it and, um, you know, made my fair share of mistakes and all of that. Um, but I've transcended them. I've tr transcended the challenges, so many of the challenges by doing the work that I now uh, teach people to do. I think it, it gives anyone who's a healer. You know, the idea of the wounded healer, it really is, it gives you um, credibility and I think compassion for others. Because, you know, um, I, for example, have had a lot of experience of uh, narcissistic abuse in this life, you know, from going back to childhood. And that has uh, really helped me because there's such an epidemic of that and so many clients that I have have experienced that. And it gives me a sort of very firsthand 
understanding of what they're going through because unless you've been through narcissistic abuse it's very hard to explain it to other people or for them to really get it you know even with the best intentions because it's like a water torture like a drip 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 thing you know and some things they don't seem that big but they're part of like this total you know gaslighting or whatever you're going through and i found that that's been you know the feedback that i've had is it's massively helpful because I, i'm coming from a place of experience and i have transcended a lot of it i mean it's a work in progress i'm not totally fixed that or may never totally be you know um still dealing with some of the you know the residual effects like ptsd and whatever but um my god you know hell of a lot better than i was for everything that i've worked through myself i've used the method that i give other people and so i you know, that and empirical evidence, and, you know, seeing people change has convinced me that I'm really onto something here. It is. It does really work. So I, I mean, I could talk to you for hours, but I know we need to wrap up. And how can people reach you? What would be the best way for them to reach you if they want to work with you? The best way is to go to, you can learn about my membership program at soulworld.com, S-O-U-L-W-O-R-L-D.com, or you can go to my website. Um, Henry, I suppose you, you put a link. I'm going to put the link in it as well. Spelling right. People have multiple spellings of my name, but it's ainsleymcleod.com. Make sure you spell it correctly. Um, and then you have multiple books as well. And you said you're writing another book that's going to be coming out? Well, because of many other commitments, it's probably not going to be out for like a good year or so. Uh, but it's actually about healing from narcissistic abuse. Okay, great. So people can watch out for that. And I have belonged to your soul community and it's amazing. And you do in it, do you do weekly podcasts or monthly yes. podcasts? Well, we actually do a weekly, um, within the, in the membership program, if you go to soulworld.com, you get all the information there. We do, um, every month we've got a different theme. We have a class, we have uh, past life regression, we have, uh, Q and A's, we have daily messages from the guide. So it's not an awful lot going on. Plus a very active forum full of kindred spirits, old, old souls on a spiritual path, um, very safe place to be, uh, you know, very private and so on. Um, and then every week on a Sunday, my wife, Christine and I do soul world Sunday, which is our little broadcast. It's usually about half an hour, some meditation and some to talk about spiritual matters. If you go to uh, soulworldsunday.com, get all the information there. It's free. Just come and join us. Is that on Instagram or, or Facebook or social media, or is it through your website? Um, it's it's web, webinar. Oh, webinar. Okay. All right. I'll put all the information in um, in the little blurb as well. Um, but definitely, I, I recommend all Ainsley's books. And the first one I read was Transformation. That um, like I said, most of the book is underlined and I used it as a guide for my own past life healing in a lot of ways. I do recommend also sessions with Ainsley. However, there is unfortunately a very long wait list. Well, quite considerable. So, you know, but check out the membership, you know, because that's a quicker way to. To access you. Yeah. Your material and work. Yeah. Cause it may have to wait a few years for a session. But, uh, Which, by the way, I did appreciate when I reached out to Christine, um, I asked, you know, about to do the interview for the podcast and she did tell me like, okay, the guide said yes. And I was like, oh, thank you. Which I always, I just love that about you, that you use the tools to oh, yeah. support. I, I use the spirit guides for, you know, probably more than I need to, you know, um, 
so, sometimes to the point where I ask them a question, they just basically look at me and I go, oh, yeah, okay. I should have figured that one out for myself. You know, it's pretty obvious. You know. I love that, though. I love that. The first time it happened was a client said to me, should I give up smoking? <laughs> Spirit guides just go, you know, like, what, what do you think? <laughs> Come on. I love that. Well, all right. So thank you so much for joining. And if anybody has any other questions, feel free to reach out and I will put all of Ainsley's information in. He is an amazing resource, his books, his membership. And if you can get on his waiting list for a session, um, definitely do it. And thank you so much for joining. We so appreciate you, Ainsley. It's been an absolute delight talking with you. Before we go, many of you know that I do like to de-link. So if this resonates with you, please repeat it. Or if you're a Reiki practitioner, do dry bathing. I asked to break the links with this podcast. I asked to break the Reiki links, leaving only harmony and balance at either ends. I also asked to clear any residual energies being held in my body as a result of these links. I asked light Reiki to fill the void, cells, rejuvenate, refreshes, revitalizes for my highest good with ease and grace. And so it is. May peace be with all of you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining. So appreciate everyone. Have a beautiful day.